Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I'm your host, Joey DiMeglio. And after losing Adam Fox and Philip Hedl to injuries, the Rangers blew a 3-0 lead on Saturday against the Wild in a shootout loss before bouncing back with the win Tuesday night at home against the Red Wings. This week, I'm joined by senior writer for NHL.com, Dan Rosen. He's here to give his overall thoughts on the Rangers and Peter Laviolette this season. Thanks so much for joining me, Dan. How are you? I'm good, Joey. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. I mean, uh, the the Rangers. That saw, I went to the game last week, and I saw the the knee on knee with uh, with Adam Fox. So that was a bit of a disappointment seeing him go out, and hopefully he's not out for the rest of the year. Heedle too with an injury, and Chesterkin kind of got banged up, but it looks like he's getting back in there. Um, before I get into the question, like, what did you think of that that hit, like the Aho, the the Fox knee to knee thing? I didn't even think it was knee to knee. I thought it was more leg to leg. Yeah. To be honest with you, um, I I didn't think much of it. To be honest with you, I think it was just kind of a hockey play and a collision. I don't. I don't necessarily. Sebastian Aho doesn't, you know, have a reputation for being a player who would stick his leg out the trip or knee on knee or anything. Anybody. I think it was a a play that you know clearly has gone. You know, went bad. Fox tried to you know stick with it. He played another shift after that and. Then he went out. Now we know he's on LTIR. I don't know what the injury is other than, than what they've told us, which is lower body injury. Uh, obviously, he has to be out until at least, I think, November 29th, based on the, the rule. When you go on LTIR, 10 days, uh, sorry, 10 games and 24 days. Uh, Peter Laviolette was asked about the length and whatever it might be, if this is like a season thing or what it is it. And he said he wouldn't. It's not that. Um, but he really didn't want to elaborate too much. So, uh, but the, the hit itself, honestly, I didn't think that there was, I, I really didn't think there was much to it. Yeah. I thought it was, it, I thought it was accidental that, that, you know, kind of just happened. I don't think, uh, yeah. like kind of just did that on purpose. He's not, he doesn't strike me as that kind of player. Uh, Rupp was talking about it. You know, it could have been avoided. I kind of agree with that. I think it could have been avoided, but I don't think it was like a, like a clear, intentional, clear as day, dirty, suspend, suspend the guy for the season. I didn't think it was anything like that. No, and, I, it, and it, it, it was more of a leg to leg. It was, it was yeah. low because like Fox's leg kind of, it went at a really steep angle. Yeah. I mean, I, could it have been avoided? Maybe. I mean, but you know, it, it so it, it does, you know, things happen. It's a quick game, fast. Obviously, I mean, I don't have to go into all those details of how yeah. quick the game is and all that. I think it's just something that happened on the ice. Maybe could it have been avoided? Sure. Um, but I don't necessarily would, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. And now speaking of the game, this has been something you've covered for quite a long time. I remember growing up, I always used to read your articles too on NHL.com, but 
I always ask this question to my guests is how do you, how did you get into the, like the journalism field and work for NHL.com? Was hockey always a sport that you wanted to cover or was it just sports in general that you started with? So it was sports in general. Uh, I've always been, I always was uh, growing up a, a big hockey fan. I grew up in Northern New Jersey. I still live in Northern New Jersey. Uh, I actually grew up a Devils fan. Um, when, you know, in the time when I could be a fan, I was a Devils <laughs> fan. Um, and it was, you know, I, I went to school, went to college at the University of Arizona, um, and I majored in journalism, and I started working at the student newspaper there, the Arizona Daily Wildcat. Started as a sophomore and continued on through the end of my time there, you know, fin when I finished up as a senior, and I, I was able to cover all kinds of sports, from, like, club sports, like club rugby and club lacrosse and the Ice Cats, which is our club, which is the University of Arizona's club hockey team, to men's basketball and the NCAA tournament to, you know, baseball, softball, uh, you know, I was the sports editor. Football was huge. And I covered that. So really got into it, started, was a student, but was working with pros at these events um, and for the student newspaper, but working in in-press conferences with the professionals out there. Uh, and then I, I stayed out there for a little while after graduating and I got a job back home at a place, at a paper called the Herald News in North Jersey covering high school sports. Uh, and the Herald News at the time merged with the record, the Bergen record. Um, to be honest, my first day in the Bergen records newsroom was September 10th, 2001. Obviously the world changed a day later. <laughs> um, so uh, I, but I was covering high school sports at the time and started to get into hockey a little bit in 2003. And it's really, um, caught a break essentially if you will my sports editor at the time needed somebody else to help out our devil's beat writer in the playoffs our devil's beat writer was a guy named tom galitti who i currently work with at nhl.com now uh he was the main beat guy and one of the best beat writers i have ever been around uh covering a team was tom um and so i started covering them a little bit in the playoffs with the series in boston and the Devils kept winning and I kept covering them. They liked what I was doing. They went on to win the Stanley Cup uh, that year. And I was able to cover all four rounds and met the people that hired me at the NHL uh, on that run. And I didn't get hired at the NHL until four years later. But it was really where I started my passion for covering hockey, for writing about hockey, for reporting on the NHL. Um, I knew I wanted to be in pro sports. I was high school sports at the time. I was 25 years old. And I wanted to be in pro sports and I figured out this wasn't just where I caught my break. This is where my passion lied. Um, it was awesome to do. The people were amazing. The, being in the arenas was, was and remains a privilege every time I'm in there. Uh, and then I continued on covering high school sports, did a little bit of hockey in 0304. Obviously nothing in 0405 as we had the lockout, came out of the lockout. Did some more Devils, Rangers, but nothing on a full-time basis, but got an interview um, at the NHL with NHL.com in 06. Did not get the job. Was told to hang with them, and then a year later, got another one and got the job at the NHL in 2007. And long story short, I've been here ever since, and it's been an ever-changing world of technology and advancements and mm -hmm. how we cover the game, how we see the game, what we use to cover the game the interactions with people, the mediums that we focus on, 
uh, podcasts being an example of that. Um, but I've been here since 2007 and it's 2023 now. This is my 16th year. I'm in my 17th season um, covering this league, this awesome league and this awesome game for uh, NHL.com. So it's it's been an amazing journey. And honestly, I don't uh, I don't see myself going anywhere else anytime soon. The journalism field is crazy competitive. It's all I've heard about being a journalism student myself. And every time I talk to people and they have their each story that they tell is unique. But I also noticed that a lot of people come from New Jersey. Like I'm from New Jersey. Donnie, Donnie LaGreca is from uh, New Jersey. Emily Kaplan's from New Jersey. You're from New Jersey. I don't know. It's just, a, it just seems like a common theme that uh, some of the top journalists yeah. in hockey are from the New Jersey, New York area. <laughs> I'd like to think that's because we're, we're smart and we know our sports in the New Jersey area. Yeah. Listen, I mean, it, it, we're inundated with pro sports in the New York, New Jersey area, right? So if you have a passion for it, there are opportunities, right? There are opportunities to, to work within a sports field. My, my nephew right now, uh, also from New Jersey, he's a student, he's a sophomore at the University of Rhode Island. He just declared his major, sports media and communication. Right. I mean, he wants to work in sports, too. Uh, it's just, you know, I mean, it's a phenomenal field to work in. But you're right. What you said at the top is very important. It's very competitive. It's a, because we're not alone in the people that want to work in the sports field. A lot of people do. I have friends of mine that look at it and they put it in air quotes like, oh, yeah, you're working. And I'm like, no, I am working. I just <laughs> love what I do. And I'm working in sports. And I have the, you know, I pursued it. Uh, and I was dogged in my determination for it. And I remain that way. I, if you lose it, forget it. You know, you're not going to be in it for that long because there is such a competitive nature to the field itself of people that want to work in it. And the, the thing about it that makes it special and makes it hard uh, and makes it competitive is we're not doing it for the money. The money, you know what I mean? Like, because if you're in this for the money, you're in the wrong field, yeah. okay? <laughs> but you can make money. You can have a living. Uh, I I can attest to that. I'm an example of that. Like you can make a living. I'm married, family of four, living in the suburban, you know, New Jersey. I live in Bergen County, um, so you can do it. But you're not going to become rich doing it. And that's actually what makes it harder, because. It's not a group of people that are, you know, the people who are involved in it are not the people looking to make the quick buck. Uh, they're the people that are dogged at their determination to want to make a career. And that's what makes it hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you brought that. I thought it was funny, the air quotes thing from your friend yeah. about the work. And uh, I go to St. Bonaventure and, you know, a lot of the textbooks we read, they mention like sports journalism is the toy department of, of sports. Yeah. Like, that's how it used to be known but i always look at it as like well if you any job you go to if you enjoy it it's not going to feel like work like yeah it's a yeah. job but it doesn't feel like work you know what i mean so like i treat it the same way with with sports journalism too and it's well, just all, so cool to to uh you know be able to speak to the players the coaches and stuff like that watch the games go there in person because it's way different to go to a game and watch it at the arena than it is to watch it on tv you could you notice so much more like uh, the reaction from the players on the bench, the reaction from the coaches, like you see a little bit more than what you would on, on like normal television. Yeah. You got to get, uh, he's a basketball guy, not a hockey guy, but you got to get the king of all basketball media 
Adrian Wojnarowski on this podcast. Yeah. You've had him before, but he's a Bonnie. He's from yeah. St. Bonaventure, too. That's right. You know? That's I actually right. worked with him at the Bergen Record. You know, uh, I was there at the time he was writing his book on Saint Ant- the Miracle of St. Anthony. He was a columnist. And, yeah. Uh, he helped me out greatly, actually. And, you know, and that's the other thing about this business is there's so many, there's, there are people out there who are, you know, who are fine, but there are people out there who are great and are willing to help. And, and it's a special, it's a special uh, fraternity, if you will. Mm-hmm. And New York media, it's, it's always, it's always like a, a funny thing. Like I see, I, I've watched the Rangers for over 10 years, like uh, maybe closer to 15 now. I, w- I was a kid when I started watching, but the seeing like the press conferences with John Tortorella and Larry Brooks, I always go back and look at them because they're so funny and stuff. Mm-hmm. But now seeing it today with like how Laviolette is handling the the media conferences and he's like amazed by how specific the questions that you guys ask, it, it's like, all right, do I have to bring a whiteboard out? I think that was what he said in one of his. That's what he said. Yeah. He was joking around. He was joking around about it. He, you know, we were asking him, it was in the preseason and uh, we were asking him about his systems and to sort of explain a little bit the way he, the style and the way he wanted to play. And he joked about like, you know, do most people come up here when they come to the Rangers and bring out a whiteboard and pretty much give you all the X's and O's and everything that they do. And we were laughing about it, but like, (laughs) You know, yeah, it, it's, you know, you got to be, listen, I mean, you got to be, got to be pointed in your questions. You got to, you got to get know what you're talking about. Yeah. The New York fans, they want the answers too. And, you know, this, speaking of systems, Laviolette brought the, the one, three, one neutral zone trap, which I didn't expect to see that. I thought we were going to see more of that. They advertised the left wing lock in the offensive right. zone, but what are your thoughts on like the Rangers using the neutral zone trap? I know Laviolette has said that that's an area the Rangers still need to improve on, getting that tighter to prevent break-ins. Well, I think it's worried. I mean, when they play within their structure, they're very good. Uh, and they've done that for uh, uh, most of their games this season is play well within their structure. Occasionally, it'll go a little awry. And talking to Mika Zibanejad about it a couple of games ago, he basically was saying, like, we've got the basics of it now. And that's key. And it was a lot to learn in, in training camp of how they wanted to, to play because the Rangers were more of a free-flowing team uh, under Gerard Gallant uh, in their two seasons. And they were not a team that that had any type of trapping system within the neutral zone. Uh, they did not play any man-on-man defense in the, you know, in the defending zone. Um, and now they are a trapping-type team with the 1-3-1 one, one where they can get it set up in the neutral zone. And they are more of a man-on-man, hybrid man-on-man, but they're more of a man-on-man team in the defensive zone. So it's been a lot of changes. Uh, but when they are operating it and it looks good, it's really hard. And how do you know? It's very obvious. When the opposing defenseman has the puck and he's standing either behind his goalie uh, or in front of the goalie and he's standing there waiting, and the fans at the garden start booing, then you know the Rangers are set up and it and it's pretty tight because there's nowhere to go. And Lavi Lavillette's teams have been doing this for a long time. And there's a reason why he's been a successful coach for a long time. It works. It works mm-hmm. when you buy in. And the Rangers right now are a team that's bought in and and bought in all the way. They were embarrassed by what happened to them last season. Uh, I think there was there was definitely a sense of embarrassment. There was definitely a sense of missed opportunity. Like a lot of those guys on this team right now will tell you, I will never be on a team as talented as that one. 
last season. Yeah. And, you know, and when you think about the talent, you're thinking about what they have now, plus Patrick Kane, plus Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, like, you know, loads of talent. Um, they're not as, say, talented now, but they are a better team now because they're playing within more of a structure and that structure is yielding results. And they also have world-class goaltending, which helps when you have breakdowns. And breakdowns are going to happen, but their world-class goaltending has been really good. And even Jonathan Quick. I mean, Jonathan Quick has, has been very good as well in his time in net. And obviously the last couple of games because Vigor Shesterkin being injured a little bit. But, you know, it, it's it's been a good look so far. It's been a really good start for this team. And if they can continue on the path they're playing with, the structure they're playing with, I think really good things are ahead of them. Yeah, so Laviolette brought uh, defensive changes with him. And the Rangers have made significant improvements in the defensive zone this year. I don't know if the same can be said on the offensive side of the puck, like at even strength. That maybe the, through the first up until the after that uh, Oilers win the, on that road trip, I thought the Rangers kind of reverted back to how they played at even strength uh, last season, which is you know rely on the power play, don't get too much opportunities, uh, spend too much time. It's crazy how what a couple weeks can do because a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago. The Rangers were 90th percentile on uh, the new NHL edge statistics in offensive yeah. zone time. That was uh, 42.9%. Now today, uh, they're below 50th percentile. That's 40.5%. Uh, and I know you wrote about it in the Super 16. The Rangers were ranked fourth. And the Rangers, if they generate more five-on-five offense, do you think they could beat a team like Boston or even Vegas for that matter? Well, here's the thing. There's a couple of things that you're 100% right. Yeah, the five on five offense was lacking. They do have seven five on five goals in their last two games. Yeah. Um, so that's good. One of them was the Minnesota game where it was too freewheeling and too loose. The other one was the Detroit game where, you know, up until the third period when the, the Red Wings started to mount a little bit of a comeback. And I think the Rangers got too loose because they were up five nothing. They were tight. They were good five on five. They were pressuring. They were, they had a shot mentality, a go to the net mentality a play North mentality, and that's the mentality they need and need to play more with. Um, but yes, they have been reliant on their power play, which has been scorching hot all year and is really good power play. So on one hand, you're saying to yourself, well, you can't rely on a power play to continue on a pace it's at right now, right? Because, I mean, honestly, they're not as good as the Oilers were last year on the power play, and even they weren't 34% on the power play. They were 32 0.6% last season. That's the best in the history of the National Hockey League. So the Rangers are not going to be there. I would expect their power play to drop about 10% from where it's at right now. So that's taking goals off the board from the power play, which you need to get picked up by your five on five. I think they are doing that. However, it also needs to be said that power play goals count. And it doesn't matter how you score them, they count and it makes a difference. So when you're talking about a small sample size, you'll take it. You know, when you extrapolate it out to a larger sample size, you do get call into question a little bit. Are they going to be able to generate more at five on five? And I think we are now starting to see them do that. Uh, can they do that on a consistent basis? That remains to be seen because I'm only talking about two games, which obviously is a small sample size. So when on the offensive side, like in the offensive zone, should the Rangers be putting more of an emphasis to, to get more chances and spend more time there? Should they put more of an emphasis on their forecheck or using that neutral zone trap to force uh, on to, to force turnovers from the other team and then transition? What is like the better? Well, 
I'm sure they use the both, but like the better yeah. the better option there. It's the four check because if you are in the neutral zone trap, it means you have to set it up and that the other team has possession. And it's controlled possession at the time that you are set in your neutral zone. If they're in that one three one, that means the other team has the puck and they have to generate and they have to get it back. If they're creating havoc off of their forecheck, it means the other team does not have the puck or can't control the puck in the defensive zone, and it could lead to turnovers and create plays off of broken plays. So it's always going to be the forecheck, I think, that you want to put an emphasis on and a stress that to generate more, to be aggressive on the forecheck, to to push that pace up the ice, to force teams into making the mistakes – when you're in that neutral zone trap, it'll force teams to make a mistake, but it'll force them to make a controlled mistake, not an uncontrolled mistake, which is what a forecheck really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, another thing, too, that I've noticed with LaViolette is Gallant used to switch a line, put him in a blender last year when offense wasn't working, even strength offense. This year, it's more of, here are my lines. This is what we're going with. No matter what, if it works, if it works, if it doesn't, we'll try again in the next game. But then the Rangers made one change last night. Uh, with the injury to Heedle, Benito moved up to the third line center position, and Blake Wheeler and Capo Caco switched spots. So what did you think of those line changes last night and how yeah. those worked at even strength? Well, I mean, I think part of it is the, it's injury-driven, right? So you have to move Trocek off the third line and put him on the second line. Uh, when you do that, you know, you have to move, but, you know, it's a domino effect, right? So part of it is injury driven. The, I don't think Laviolette ever said, these are my lines and, and this is the way it's going to be. He said, these are my lines. And this is the way it's going to be for now. I'm going to let them, I'm going to let them grow together. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. let, you know, I'm going to see how it works. And it was working. So why would you change it? Right. Exactly. I mean, results are results. You, you, you go by the positive results. You, you don't want to change from that. So that was, that was one really good thing. I think it was his intention though, to allow lines to, grow together uh to to stick with it for a while wins help but i think it was his intention to uh, to have it happen even if they weren't winning as much as they've won so far earlier this season early this season the move to swap kako for wheeler listen i mean kako kako is not producing right i mean he's not doing much and even on the third line role that he played against the red wings he didn't do that much in that he had a, had a shot on goal early in the game and really was invisible from then on. And, and, and it's on him. Like, it's incumbent on him to push. Look at what Alexi Lafreniere is doing right now. Different lines, completely different lines when you're playing with Panarin and Hedl or Panarin and Trocek versus when you're playing with Kreider and Zibanejad. It's completely different. Kreider and Zibanejad need a shooter, need a guy that's going to shoot the puck because Kreider obviously generates off of that. And even Mika will generate off of that too. Kako's not necessarily a shooter. Lafreniere on the line he's on with either with especially when it's Heedle, they need a guy to drive and and create below the goal line and and win puck battles and get to the net and that that's what he he's really excelling at that um and so because he's not an east-west guy whereas especially Heedle and Panarin are more east-west right so they need a net drive guy Kako's got to be able to do more um Wheeler is going to get that opportunity because he's Blake Wheeler and it's what he's done in his career, and it's the easy move. Was he great in that role? No, he wasn't, but he's generating a little bit. He's getting some opportunities. He's, you know, he's, but but no, was he great in that role? Absolutely not. I think in a perfect world, you have Paco in, in, in a top six role, and you have Blake Wheeler in a third-line role, but if the guy is, if the 
if Kako is not going to produce in that role, you're going to make the change. Yeah, I think Kako definitely knows it too, that, you know, he's got to hold himself accountable. He's not getting, he's not, he hasn't looked as good as he looked in preseason because in preseason he was shooting, he was doing all the stuff in the corners that he usually does, drawing penalties, doing everything he could, but it's kind of underwhelming so far to start the year. But I think Laviolette made it clear it wasn't like a work ethic thing. It was more of a production. No, it's a production thing, and it's how his game is, is trending type of yeah. thing. Uh, and, and he's not doing the things that he you, you were just saying. He's not doing nearly enough of the things you were just talking about. And if he's not doing enough of that, then his game's going to be off. Yeah, and – Another thing on the the five on five offense, uh, last thing before we transition, is the, the Mika Zibanejad gets a lot of his offense. He gets a lot of it from the power play, specifically that one timer. Maybe he hasn't gotten it too. He hasn't scored on that one timer too much this year, but a lot of fans are saying are are skeptical of like how much he's able to produce. Like, how can he get it going at five v five? Is my question. What do you think he needs well, to do? It's possession. It's drive the net. It's getting another guy to shoot the puck so he can play off of a shot on occasion. And Kako's not that guy right now shooting. And it's not going to be Kreider either shooting the puck. Um, there, there's some of that. I, it's funny. Like I get the fan perspective on this. And you see numbers. And you see a guy not producing at the rate he's producing. Or you see a guy, you know, living off of the, off of the power play. I mean, there's a few guys on this team that I would not worry about one bit. Mika's advantage as well. Like, I yeah. mean, Mika's advantage ad is, I'll tell you much. I'll tell you this much. If we're talking about Mika's advantage ad's lack of five on five production, 12 games into the season where the Rangers have won nine of them, I think the New York Rangers are in a pretty good spot. <laughs> okay. That's uh, what we would call the uh, ice cold take of the day for you right there. That's a <laughs> great way to transition into the next segment. So I'm assuming that's a great, that's a great take. So, uh, I'll read the definition for you and for the people listening at home or watching on YouTube. An ice cold take is a noun. It's an accurate statement backed by facts and observation that is si- solid in nature, similar to a block of ice, i.e., spot on claim. So, one more time, you're saying if the Ranger, if uh, you're worried about Zibanejad's lack of production at 5v5 at this point in the season, 12 games in. The Rangers are in a good spot, right? Yeah, they're in a great spot because they've won nine games already. And they're doing it, you know, okay, you want to live on their power play, that's fine. They're, they've done it a lot on the power play. But again, like I said before, power play goals count, okay? Yeah. And they, they count as the same as an even strength goal. So it's no different. And again, I mean, Mika's advantage that is the player that I'm probably least, other than Shesterkin maybe, He's the one I'd be least concerned about uh, in terms of, you know, he's going to bring it every single night, every single shift, his five on five production will turn. He'll start to score more. History says it will, says he will. His game, his style of play says he will. And again, if we're talking about that, then I think the, and the Rangers are nine, two and one. Then I think the Rangers are in a pretty good spot right now yeah, because that- there's a lot of teams who are talking about a lot of problems and they're not nearly as good. They're not, they're way bigger problems and they're in a way worse situation. Mm-hmm. And past three or four full seasons for his advantage, he's ended with like 30 or 40 goals. So I always, yeah. like you said, the history says that he's going to solve it. I kind of just think he needs like one 
five on five goal to kind of turn things around or yeah. maybe just one of those one timers to go in because he kind of it looks like he's missing the net a little bit or misfiring on on some of those that he usually nails but i i don't i don't put too much emphasis in that i i like that panarin is really producing stepping up this year 12 12 points in 12 games like I, I was not expecting that, especially after the performance last year in the playoffs and fans calling for his head, trade him. Uh, I didn't. I never. Was, I was never on board with that. With that talk. Well, I mean, listen, Panarin still has to prove it in the playoffs. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. Okay, he 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 has to play better than he did in the playoffs last year. But there's a there's a system in place now for him. There's a structure in place now for him. And Laviolette was talking about it last last night as after the Red Wings game, that what we're seeing from Panarin, and I brought it up to him as well, I, I said, are you seeing a guy that instead of waiting for the puck to come to him so he can make a play, is attacking with the puck to make that play? And that's exactly where what he's doing. He is playing his game within the structure and his game within the style that Laviolette wants him to play. So there's still a little bit of that East-West element to it. There's obviously a lot of creativity in his game, but he's driving. He's a driving force. And that is when Artemi Panarin has always been at his best. He was not doing that in the playoffs last year. He was very much on the perimeter. He was very much a, a uh, you know, just, just a, a passive player, if you will, in the, in mm-hmm. the playoffs last year. But there's a system and a structure in place that he's playing in right now that works. And when he plays this way, it works It works even better because he's got the best skill on the team. And on many nights, he's playing, he's got the best skill in the game. Uh, and so when that happens and he can marry it all together, you're going to see the Panarin you've seen so far with points, you know, in 12 straight games to start the season. And only one player, 20 points in those 12 games, and only one player in Rangers history has had a longer point streak to start, the se- to start a season. That was Rob Gilbert with 14 i think that was about you know well i mean it was definitely before i was born it was like 1970 or something i was born in 78 yeah so, he's in good company yeah. yeah rangers have been around for like almost 100 years and yeah. it's only those two that have that amount of points to start a season Panarin's yeah, in good company right. for sure. yeah he's all right he's just all right um last thing before we before we wrap it up other areas of improvement for the rangers uh in your opinion i i mean for me too like i i noticed penalties is they're taking too many too many of them has laviolette sort of talked about that being too aggressive taking too many penalties and that creating momentum for the other team in like press conferences as he talked um, about um i mean they had six against the red wings the other night i i don't think it's been a huge problem but it definitely rears its head uh every once in a while and the pk you know when it's aggressive as it was against detroit is can be really good and they were six for six and killing off the five on three as well um that that the red wings had so that was good but penalties yes question about it but i'll be honest with you right now i mean this team just went out and beat a pretty good detroit red wings team and they did it without philip hedel adam fox or igor shesterkin in the lineup um that's pretty good i i I know we you know we in the media and fans and fans as well we always like to nitpick and find things um and there are things to find like the third period of the game against detroit where they kind of just fell apart um you know what happened there how does that how does it happen that you kill a five on three then you finish it off with five and four and then you give up a goal 
That's a little weird. Yeah. Usually you gain momentum off of that. You don't give it up after that. Um, so there's certain things, games within the game, but I would think that this season there's, I think there's two games of the 12 the Rangers have played that they don't like. And that was the, the Nashville game before they went on the road trip. And that was the game in Minnesota, which was, as Laviolette has called, the sneaky road trip game because they went on that five-game Western road trip, came home for one, and then bang, out to Minnesota. They didn't like that game either, but they got a point out of it. Um, and they obviously got nothing out of the Nashville game at home before leaving on the road trip. But those are the only two games I look at right now, and I say, mm, those are the ones. And if you're talking about 10 Nine, if you will, maybe the Columbus game, you can kind of have a hit or miss on, but nine of your 12 games have been good to solid to great. I think you're, you're feeling pretty good. That's yeah, that's pretty good for the first within the first 15, less than 15 games yeah. of the season. That's pretty good. Uh, anything else the Rangers could possibly improve on aside from from five on five? What what else sticks out to you? Um, some of the turnovers. They, they do, they do, there are some turnovers I see, you know, from some of the defensemen. It's not a huge problem, but you want to limit those, obviously. Um, other than that, I mean, I can't really think. I, individually, you just want to get more out of Kako. You know, you really do. You want to get, like we talked about, Zabanajad, obviously. But you got to get more out of Kako Kako. He's, he's got to be a huge part of this team. And, and he's not right now because if he is, and if he becomes one, they're that much better. And, and you you need it. You, they're going to need it. Uh, the Devils aren't going anywhere. The Carolina Hurricanes aren't going anywhere. You look at the other division you know, on the other side in the Atlantic. You know, Boston's really good. Toronto's got a lot of firepower. Tampa's still there. Detroit's coming. Ottawa's coming. Right. I mean, Florida's there. I mean, there's a lot of teams. Pretty loaded Eastern Conference right now, I think, and the Rangers are going to need it, uh, and they they're going to need Kako to to give him some this season. Yeah, definitely need need him to start producing. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on the show, taking time out of your day to come come on you. I know how busy you guys are. Really appreciate you doing that. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, Rangers fans, thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. Time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know.